Welcome and happy holidays from Third Flatiron Publishing in Boulder, Colorado. Today we're presenting War Dog by Wolf Moon. Our story is set in the time of the Spanish conquistador Balboa as he lands in the New World accompanied by his ferocious war dog, Leoncillo. Moon lives in Washington State and has worn a number of hats, including inventor and entrepreneur, as well as writer. Recently, he's embarked on a new career in podcasting. Please see the accompanying interview to learn more. This thrilling history first appeared in the third Flatiron anthology, Terra, Terra, Terror. For more from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our podcasts. You can support our podcasts at patreon.com slash thirdflatiron. And now, here's War Dog, read by the author. War Dog by Wolf Moon I stood next to Commander Balboa on a rocky outcrop, his ruddy war dog Leoncio between us, panting from the sweltering jungle heat. For a man approaching forty, Balboa had stamina that put young men like me to shame. He was the embodiment of a Spanish conquistador, lean and sinuous as buckened meat, sharper than Castilian steel. With his regal armor, piercing brown eyes, curled black hair, and precisely trim beard, I saw him as a crown prince instead of the penniless pig farmer from Hispaniola. He had that way about him, visions as high as St. Peter's Gate, with that potent alchemy of charisma and bravura that turned lead into gold, inspiring his men to worship him like a saint. As Balboa scanned the vista, I rubbed mighty Leoncio's folds of skin. He whipped his head around, chuffed, licked my hand with his lolling pink tongue, and moved off to water a tree. I was proud of the fact that besides Balboa, I was the only soldier in our company, the little lion, allowed to handle him. Leoncio was one of the famous Spanish allants, and he weighed more than most fighting men. Alants were bull-faced dogs, with jaws like iron bear traps. Cunning intelligence glowed within their keen yellow eyes, guiding their muscular mass with ferocious accuracy. We even armored the best of the pack like war horses, protecting them in quilted gambesons and spiked collars and metal plate. Nothing struck more fear into the hearts of our lightly clad opponents. They say history is written by the victors. In Tierra Firme, history was written by the dogs of war. Balboa thrust his arm out like a lance in battle. Gabricho, behold, the South Sea. I wiped the sweat from my brow, shielded my eyes, scanned the horizon. A rolling jungle of several days' march filled my vision, but there in the distance a shimmer of blue fought its way through the haze, then transformed into a white, undulating snake. The white snake writhed and vanished, writhed and vanished. Every man, 
that had crossed the Atlantic knew that sign. Surf. I remember smiling warmly at Balboa, exhausted though I was from the climb. Even at this altitude, the air was so thick with humidity you could chew it. My lord, you were right. He chuckled. <laughs> I am not a lord. Yet. I knew this man. I knew his destiny like I knew gold from a rock. The ocean that shimmered in the distance was living proof of the faith I had placed in him from the first day I had found him hidden in a barrel, a stowaway with his pup on Governor and Ciso's ship, sailing from Hispaniola to this land. When enraged and Ciso had ordered Balboa and his dogs thrown overboard, I had stood at Balboa's and Leoncio's side, swinging my fists and swearing by all the saints they would have to throw me over with him. Pizarro had been there, more than ready to oblige. But I suppose seeing a young man's courage softened in Ciso's heart, and he spared us. You will be a lord, I assured Balboa. The crown will name you Duke of Tierra Firme. He gripped my shoulder, spoke with that gusto that made you believe if he wished. He could walk on water. Columbus can have his quest for a passage to the Indies. He is nearsighted, has never seen the big picture. This is proof we have here a new continent. Imagine what we will create free from the bloody inquisitors. Free from the money-grubbing bishops, free from the bickering bachelors and their debtors' prisons. Me, I don't want a passage. I want a destination. And I swear I will shape Tierra Firme into a land with equal promise for all, noble or commoner, Spaniard or indigenous. Our alliances with the natives proves it can be done. I was certain he was right. Balboa had even won over a powerful tribe by taking the Princess Fulvia as a wife. We just had that tiny problem of getting the news of our discovery back to the crown before Enciso, the feckless governor that Balboa had been forced to depose, convinced King Ferdinand to remove Balboa's head. The sour scent of body odor assaulted my nostrils as almond-eyed Francisco Pizarro elbowed his way between us and slapped me hard on the back. Ha! If the sea is real, boy, so is the city of gold. These naked curs will be no match for Spanish steel. We'll gut them like pigs. I'm going to be richer than the king. Money and glory. If Pizarro opened his mouth, those words spilled out like rabid spittle. He would have sold his soul to the devil to get what he desired. I know now that he had. As if to his words, a fierce gust rushed the ridge, shook the fronds of the trees, filled the air with the sound of angry rattlesnakes. The benevolent domain Balboa had envisioned was about to be shattered. On 29 September, 
1513 Anno Balboa led us out from the jungle canopy onto the shores of the southern sea. But it was Leoncio that first claimed it, lunging ahead of us across the shallows in pursuit of a pelican. From there began the race to send notice to our monarch that he had a new continent on his hands and to get the crown's approval to explore Tierra Firme's coastlines. But our enemies had other plans and convinced the crown to install a new governor at Darien, our outpost on the gulf side of the Isthmus. His name was Pedrarius. I remember the day of his arrival like it was yesterday. I had returned with a hunting party, trying to supplement our meager rations of maize with jungle fowl. The sky was filled with bruised clouds. The bay was a puddle of melted lead. Fifteen, sixteen, no, seventeen ships anchored in the harbor. I choked as we approached the village. Filling the dusty street, all the way up the hill to Balboa's house, were men in foppish hats and silk finery, tossing dirt into the air and cheering. I looked down to the pier. Armored soldiers unloaded horses and pulled crates from tenders, while others milled about. A commotion was taking place on the pier as the largest longboat approached. Fighting men came off the beach, flanked the entrance to the town, and moved into ranks. This looked like a coup. I searched for a friendly face. Our little village had been so overrun, I knew no one around me. I spotted a corpulent youth with fat lips that looked eager to talk. We made our introductions, and I got to the point. So, Carlos, who leads your glorious company? He pointed to the tender. The new governor of Darien. His men call him Predarius. My heart thumped. A fighting man, this Pedrarius? The youth stood on his toes, trying to see over men's heads. Oh, yes, he fought the Moors at Grenada and served under Navarro in Africa. Impressive. Not a young man, I presume. Oh, no, he's ancient. Must be seventy. But he moves like a lion, I'm told, and can outrun a horse. The youth paused. Senor, want to know something weird? Always. He carries a casket with him. Then he won't be long with us, thank God. Carlos scowled. No, this was years ago. They thought he was dead, and they nailed him in a coffin, and were about to bury him. But the priest heard voices inside, and when they opened it up, he was alive. I hissed. You are sure of this? He pointed to the winch on the pier. There's the coffin now. They say he takes it everywhere to remind him of how close he came to death. I looked at the casket as it rose in the air. Strange. There they are! Trumpets sounded. Coming up from the pier was a bishop in full vestments, golden crozier in one hand, censer in the other. Incense puffed from the vessel, trailing blue tendrils. 
Friars and ranks followed, chanting the Te Deum as if they were presenting the Holy Father. Then came the soldiers, hoisting lances bearing banners of the crown. There were mighty Andalusian horses, dappled in gray, their hooves beating the earth like war drums. And finally, shackled slaves, bearing a gilded sedan chair. Within bobbed a skeleton of a man, staring straight ahead as if no one was there at all. I squinted to see better. Instantly, his visage was right in front of my face. I jumped. Radiating off his pate was a golden nimbus, but the rays writhed and snapped like serpents. His eyes looked past me, thank God, but my ears filled with clicking sounds. Where are you? I clutched a silver cross that hung from my neck, and Pedrarius's visage shot back to the sedan, just a gilded man in a pompous parade. They moved on by, followed by more slaves bearing that casket. Hissing rose from it like steam from a cauldron. What was happening to me? I heard voices, calling as if from the very fires of hell. He gave his soul to escape death. Will you also serve? I crossed myself and ran to warn Balboa. This man had made a deal with the devil. The story and casket were my proof. What deals had he made to rise from the grave to become our governor? Balboa called my talk superstitious nonsense and told the men gathered with me to stand down. Little did Balboa know, Governor Pedrarius had been commissioned to examine how a Hidalgo could dare think he had jurisdiction to replace Enciso, the crown-appointed governor. But as the governor's troops began dropping like flies from local disease, it was clear Balboa held the superior force. Only a fool would have tried to take Balboa down under such circumstances. So the devil's man fell to cunning to wrest Tierra Firme from him. In the months and years that followed, Pedrarius let it appear Balboa had earned favor even granting his request to build our fleet to begin exploration on the other side of the Isthmus. Pizarro had slyly slipped from our force over to the governor's, becoming Pedrarius's eyes and ears. I was happy to be rid of them both, and only too glad to be away from Darien at our new settlement of Akla, a site on the Gulf side, closer to the passage across the Isthmus. Then. Just as Balboa sent our forces to transport materials across for the new ships, the governor's messenger came, requesting Balboa meet him at Darien. My worst fear had happened, and I warned Balboa he could be ambushed away from our troops. Nonsense, Capriccio, Balboa had said. The man has betrothed me to his own daughter in Spain. I think I can trust my own father-in-law. I never asked him what Fulvia, his native bride, thought of the arrangement, nor what absolutions he had gotten from the bishop. He simply called Fulvia his translator now, 
but her hut was next to his, and she was ever at his side. I could not dissuade him, so I begged to come along. He looked at me with those warm eyes, the same eyes I had seen years ago when I discovered him in a barrel on Enciso's ship. You may come. It will irk that traitor Pizarro, and that pleases me. I want Leoncio with us. Balboa stroked his beard. See, si, bring my dog. The day was hot as hell. Balboa refused my request to armor Leoncio. He said the dog would overheat. Halfway on the trail to Darien, Pizarro appeared, fully armored, a force of soldiers flanking each side. Baboa drew our handful of men and Fulvia to an abrupt halt. Leoncio lunged at his leash, but I commanded him to heal. Balboa's voice rang out. What is the meaning of this, Francisco? Pizarro unsheathed his sword, eyes black as the abyss. From the brush, I saw arquebusiers light match cords and clip them into the serpentines of their firing mechanisms. You are hereby arrested by order of Governor Pedrarius for crimes of treason against the crown. Treason? I am the crown's faithful servant. Pizarro spat. You have declared yourself king of your own kingdom over the lands of the South Sea. My blood boiled. Who says? Pizarro narrowed those almond eyes on me. I say, boy, and I have the sworn testimony of three other officers. He nodded to the men at his side. Arrest them! Fulvia dived into the brush. Leoncio, snarling beside me, lunged with all his fury, breaking my grip on the leash. Leoncio, no! I shouted, but the arquebusiers fired. Hard in my throat, I saw blood spurt from several ball strikes, heard a high-pitched yelp, and yet Leoncio charged ahead with all the power of a maddened bull. Pizarro dropped to one knee, held his blade forward, pommel gripped in both hands. Leoncio tried to turn, but his momentum carried him forward, and Pizarro impaled him with a thrust. Their bodies rolled across the ground. Pizarro alone rose up. The bastard had killed our dog. Blind with rage, I drew my sword, bellowed a cry, and charged. Why was I flying sideways? Why did a lance of fire shriek through my chest? What was this volley of thunder? There were no clouds in the sky. Why was darkness falling? It was not the time for night. Slop, 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 slop. Capriccio. Woof. Slop, 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 slop. I opened my eyes to a pink tongue sliding across my lips. Ugh. Dog breath. Dog breath? 
I lifted my head. Leoncio's golden eyes smiled down on me. Woof! Little lion! I reached up, grabbed Leoncio by the scruff, gave him a mighty hug. Bad idea. Pain lanced my chest, and my head spun. You should rest. The voice was soft, feminine, and had that familiar Chibchan accent. His blood binds to yours. Sweat drenched my skin and forehead. Fire burned inside me, coursing through my veins. In lucid moments, I could see the dark-skinned legs of natives. In dark moments, I saw a steaming mercurial pool, whispering with spirit voices, lapped by a pink tongue. I did not know the first day I stood. I only know that I was alive, and as I leaned against the shack's doorframe, I realized I was looking upon Panama Viejo, our settlement on the South Sea shores. A few Spaniards and natives were casting nets over the shallows. Leoncio rose from outside, bless me, with a wet slurp. I bent down and ran my hands over his skin. Remarkable. There wasn't a mark on him. He loved you, you know. It was Fulvia, coming out of her hut, dressed in a brilliant white long shirt. I stood. How is this possible? Is this heaven? Fulvia worked the word cielo over her tongue. Sorry, senor. No. Then how am I alive? She pointed to Leoncio. They threw you in hole with him. Hole? You mean grave? See, si, grave. His blood mix with yours. I come back, find Leoncio dug you both out. How is this possible? If they buried us, we were dead. Fulvia handed me a gourd filled with cool water. Did my lord never tell you? This dog's sire was Becerillo. Yes, Ponce de Leon's war dog, he told me. She motioned for me to drink. I had not realized how thirsty I was until I put the gourd to my lips. Why do you think Ponce searches for, how do you say, Fountain of Underworld? because his dog must have drank from it on one of their journeys, and he does not know where. I drained the gourd. How would he know that? She took the gourd from my hands. Because his dog kept coming back to life, like this dog just did. Leoncio woofed. It was a crazy story, but I knew some of the tales about Becerillo, how he had killed thirty-three attackers in a half hour and not a scratch on him. The tales were legendary. And I had just seen Leoncio hit by lead shot and run through with a sword. No dog, not even an allant, could survive that. But here he was, panting at my side. Fulvia's dark eyes shimmered. 
His blood spilled in your wounds. Your blood in his blood. Bubble with underworld fountain now. Comprende? I ran my hands over my bare chest. No wound. Fulvia's eyes clouded. My lord Balboa had such life. This dog had blood on his wounds, too. She spat words in Spanish, Chibcha, and half a dozen languages I had never heard before. That's why they chopped off his head and shoved it on a stake so he could not rise again. What? Tears welled in her eyes. They killed my lord. They killed his friends. Pedrarius and Pizarro did this thing. Where? At Akla. Word came to us yesterday. My world spun out from under me. I dropped to my knees and wept. 300 armored Spaniards that had been loyal to Balboa. The same number of warriors from Fulvia's tribe. She herself led them. 93 war dogs, most fixed in armor. And one resurrected leader, calling his forces to a halt at the jungle's edge, the sleeping town of Akla beyond, glowing under the red sky of dawn. I kneeled beside Leoncio, gave his folds a rub, fastened the gambeson and steel breastplate over his chest. He watched me with those keen golden eyes, chuffed once as I unclipped the leash from his collar, then growled low and deadly as he nosed the air. We would finish Balboa's dream our way, and we would prepare the Inca for what was to come. But first, there were accounts to be settled. They say history is written by the victors. In Tierra Firme, history was written by the dogs of war. Thanks for listening to this podcast from ThirdFlatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns. 